Just first of all, just to say, again, really good to be with you this morning. It's, it's summertime, we're a little bit, um, we've got a church picnic for the 9.15 service up in my back garden, even as we speak. Um, and if you don't know me, my name's David, one of the, the team, team leader here at Woody Central. And um, it's great to, to be part of a worshipping family. And again, if you're not part of the family, if you feel like you're just looking at church or um, you, you, you're just wanting to get connected, um, we, our aspiration is to create a place of welcome for everyone. And so we hope that you do feel welcome here today, even if you feel a little bit strange or that we're a bit strange. Um, and today we're beginning a new series looking at relationships and the Bible, the New Testament in particular, but the whole Bible actually talks a lot about human relationships. And one of the, the reasons the New Testament majors on relationships is because the church, the people of God, are a community whose quality of life is meant to be a, a witness, a message, a picture of what God's covenant community, what God's purpose, what God's thing, jealous about. Oh, if only I was in a you know, in a context like that where I could know that kind of love and unity and grace and kindness. Our challenge is living up to that calling, isn't it? And part of our, our series on relationships is just to help us reflect a little bit about what it means to live a life less ordinary, what it means to live a life as the people of the kingdom rather than just the, the way we're doing, what it means to love not like the Gentiles do, because people, Jesus said, people in the world are quite good at loving people who love them back, but what does it look like to be more inclusive, to be more generous in the way that we love one another? And we're going to kick off this series by thinking about the subject of judging, don't judge. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, we're at the, the, just the opening of Matthew 7, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you might want to have a bit of an eye on um, John chapter 8 as well. Here we go. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what's sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet then turn, tear you to pieces. So Jesus is um, very, very bold and definite here. Do not judge. That's like a, a big slogan that you could, um, um, the guy in our 915 service, he's had a big tattoo on his back, which I got the privilege of seeing after the service, which says, only God can judge me. Um, but don't judge. It's, it's kind of a big, big thing that Jesus says. It's not like a, hidden away little nuance that you might pick up if you read the Bible very carefully. It's like a big slogan, don't judge. And actually, if you looked at the reputation of church, you might think, oh, really? Has the church um, obeyed and fulfilled that command very well? Have we got a reputation as being the least judgmental people on earth or not? And probably a judgment that the world would bring to the church is the church is judgmental, ironically. Um, and it might be worth asking, how does that state of affairs happen? How is it that the church is perceived as being a judgmental community rather than a merciful community? 
So what does it mean to judge? Well, it means to form an opinion about someone and to, to deliver an authoritative verdict on someone, to decide as a judge to make a verdict. Now, of course, a judgment could be a positive or a negative thing. Uh, you know, a positive judgment is, uh, well, you know, you've won. But we so often think about the negative sides of judgment, even in the competition, say, the annual Woodland Church Flower Show taking place next Sunday. You know, there will be a winner, but everybody else will have been judged to be less good than the winner. That's the way it works, isn't it? Judgment can elevate someone and therefore diminish others. And, um, but judgment can also be very critical and uh, um, an othering of other people on the basis of their behavior, their lifestyle, or even their clothing. People did make comments about my shirt today, which is one of Peacock's finest garments. But um, anyway... But as people, we are prone to judging, aren't we? You know, you, you, in, if you're in an in a office community, if you're in a, at the school gate, if you're anywhere where people gather, you'll find that insidiously judgments. But when we judge, we're actually not just having an opinion, but making a moral sort of framework. It, it's, it's an opinion. We've all got different opinions. Some of you may like my shirt, some of you may not. But really, it's just an opinion, isn't it? Some of you may like a, 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 a strong curry. Others may not like spicy food, but that's just an opinion. But there are other things where when we judge, it's not an opinion. We're, we're appealing to something that we feel is a universal, that everybody should think like me about that subject. I'm trying to think of an example that, or an example which I'm going to use today. is perhaps the, the example of cheating on your partner, having an affair, committing adultery, something like that. And probably, wherever you come from in, 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 in British society today, probably most people would say, to cheat on your partner is wrong. That's why we use the, the common phrase, to cheat on your partner, because cheat's a pejorative word, isn't it? And, um, and we probably all agree, whether we're people of faith or not, whether we're socioeconomically at one end of the scale or the other, that cheating on your partner is something wrong, that we shouldn't be doing that. We're appealing to a universal code. And it's because we appeal to universal codes when we make judgments, when we give authoritative opinions about people, that religious people are more prone to doing that than other people. Now, there could be all kinds of reasons why we judge people, not just... Um, it might be that we actually feel a bit better about ourselves if we can diminish someone else. You know, We could say, they're doing that, I would never do that. We, we actually are bolstering our own kind of fragile self-esteem. But, but religious people in particular... We've got this book. We've got some ethical practices that we take from God, from Jesus. We, we've got things that we want to hold ourselves to account to. And because of that, we can be prone to being judgmental about other people who are not living that way of life or not doing that within our community. So what are the outworkings of judging where we put ourselves in that position where we elevate ourselves over others or diminish them in our own eyes. It's that kind of thing, I would never, or those kind of people. Well, first of all, there's something about judging which means that we, there's a process of withdrawal, either of exclusion or separation. When we judge people, excommunication was the form of judgment you know, that the, the Catholic Church used to, in other words, you are not part of the community anymore. 
and the earthly community and even the heavenly community. We're excommunicating you, we're excluding you. Or else it might be that we withdraw from people. So an example like a movement like the Exclusive Brethren movement um, withdraws from the world. You know, we, 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 we even, Exclusive Brethren and other kind of extreme religious groups, they have their own codes, their own relationships, Sometimes their own shops or their own water supply or their own, they're really re reducing contact and connection with the outside world which may contaminate us or whatever it is. But withdrawal, separation is a hallmark of judgment. And you'll probably find that you do that yourself too. If you feel critical of someone, if you are in some way judging someone else, you may withdraw from them. If you've been offended by someone in some way, you may withdraw from them. You may try and avoid eye contact. You may want to avoid talking to them. They may be here in this gathering today and you think, oh, they're on that side. I'm going to sit on this side and I'm going to sneak out and not encounter them on my way out. Or if you do have that encounter, rather than intimacy and self-disclosure, there'll just be, you know, the minimal, good morning, good morning, and that's it. You'll say the minimum if you can. Because that's what we do when we judge. Or when we feel judged, we withdraw. Separation happens. Separation is really bad for human relationships. For me, when I'm living in, I've lived in community for most of my adult life. And one of the things, one of my little slogans around community is mind the gap. Because I notice that when we live in community with one another and there's an issue, a problem, uh, a relational breakdown, a, a criticism, a judgment, and that gap happens, then what happens is something will start to fill that gap. We say, don't we, that nature abhors a vacuum. But relationships also abhor a vacuum. It's not, if you, if you withdraw from someone, it's not as if things are going to stay static. Something will grow in the space of your relationship. And what will grow in the space of your relationship is a negative narrative about the other person. If you step back relationally from somebody that you've been offended by or from a people group that you have been offended by, that you judge, that you criticize, what will happen will be that you will start to believe more negative things about those people, more and more negative. The gap will feed your paranoia, your projection. It will be empowered, I think, by the satanic. You know, one of the words for the devil, the diablos, is the separator, the splitter, the one that, that's what I think what diablos means, and it, to, to separate. And it feels like the enemy of ourselves loves human separation rather than human unity. And separation, what's going to grow in that gap in our relationships? And you've probably done it yourself and, and realized. And then when you've had an encounter with that person, if you have to have some breakthrough, you thought, oh, how could I have really thought that about them? It's so significant. That's one reason why the Bible encourages us to go to our brother where there has been judgment, criticism, or offense. When we go to one another, we can sort it out, but also we can actually remember what they're really like. How could I ever have thought that about you? We might say, at the when we've crossed that distance and come close again. And, and I just want to commend approach rather than separation when we are encountering judgmental attitudes 
in us towards others or others towards ourselves. And there's some principles that I want to unpack about how to not judge because it is so important and so important that we don't do this. And um, so, what's in the heart of God? You see, Jesus tells us about judgment and he says basically there is one person who can judge and that is God himself. What does God do? Does God separate himself from the world and judge it? Does he separate himself from us and judge us? No, what God actually does is draw near to us. He does what I've described. The incarnation is God drawing near to us. It's the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's Jesus who says, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And here's some principles, that are the principles of the kingdom of heaven, which should be part of our lifestyle as followers of Jesus. And the first is that principle of identification, not distance. So when Jesus in his parable about the plank and the speck, which was acted out for us brilliantly at the 915 service, where Nigel had a big plank coming out of his eye and trying to take his speck out of Ellie Manley's, um, what that principle says, actually, I need to know myself and know that the traits that I see in you are in there too. Isn't it interesting how we can be quick, actually, to judge people who other people would might say, but that's just like you. <laughs> I can, um, this a little trivial personal example, but a few years ago, someone um, in this congregation actually challenging me after a service about my body language uh, being looking really sort of like, um, yeah, not interested. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> now, the person concerned has got the worst body language I know. It's kind of shifty, awkward, and they don't look you in the eye. And they're telling me about my body language. And I was, but, but uh, you know, anyway. But the reality is, <laughs> very often when we judge people, we do have the same traits ourselves, don't we? And it may be that, um, but whether or not we have the same traits, we share a common human nature. Part of helping people is to know our own need of help. Now, one of my son's parents is, is doing a doctorate at the moment in um, psychotherapy in London. And as part of his doctorate, um, he has to have four sessions of counselling every week. And that's a, a therapeutic principle really because I think the point is unless you've had therapy how can you give therapy unless you know yourself how can you help other people know themselves and we had a weekend together a few weeks ago we were talking about faith and psychotherapy because it's quite challenging when you're you know first parent doing all this counseling well, what was it like for me growing up in this religious community you know and all that kind of stuff and, and putting family life under the microscope but um we, we agree together. Isn't it great that Jesus said, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your own eye? Because that's, in, in, a, in a sense, the therapeutic basis that he's working on. Know yourself so that you can really help and know one, other people. And it makes it true. Jesus got there before Freud. But um, I think that um, for myself, as I've often said, I try and pray the prayer in Psalm 139. Search me and know me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in ways everlasting. It's, it's a prayer to God 
that for me as a minister, show me yourself. If I'm going to try and help other people, I need to know myself. I want people to be able to confess and to be real with me about stuff and not to put on a, a front. And that means that I don't want to put on a front with other people. And it might be that the, the, the example I used about an affair, you know, or cheating on someone. If someone confesses with me that they're in an adulterous relationship, I don't want to say, oh, I would never do that. I have to say, I have the propensity to, to be, I could be unfaithful. I understand those drives and needs in the human heart. And I'm here not to condemn you, but here to help bring some rescue, some something because this is really this is going to be destructive for so many people. How can we avoid this mess? How can we see some healing? How can we see some mercies, some forgiveness here? Because that was a, a particular example that Jesus was invited to comment on, wasn't it? In John chapter eight, we read about Jesus being. Um, Invited to judge a woman who is caught in adultery. And John 8 says, um, The teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group who said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But why, by the way? They must have seen Jesus as someone who might be inclined to let people off the hook. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The Pharisees are standing as authorities. They're men. She's a woman. That already puts them above her, you know? Where's the man in the case? He's not present, of course. And, um, and, and they, they, they are treating her as, as an untouchable and someone who would do what they would never do. But Jesus gets straight to their hearts with that question. Okay, so you're going to judge. There is one judge. Which of you is without sin? You throw the first down. It's Jesus operating that principle of empathy. And he comes, of course, not to punish, but to save. Jesus himself has his most challenging words for those people who have religious pride and his most merciful words for those people who know they need help. And he draws near to those people. You see, not judging is not saying we don't believe in right or wrong. There's a difference between discerning and judging. Discernment is able to discriminate between right and wrong. But it doesn't other. Rather it says, this is right and this is wrong. And I, in the need of the grace of God to do what's right, and I myself am vulnerable to doing what's wrong. It's acknowledging my brokenness, not standing aloof and saying, I'm above you because I'm not that kind of person. And, and we, we love to do that. When we other whole people groups, when we say we're different to you, and we would never do like that, it allows us to dehumanize you and ultimately do awful things to them. Genocide... Um, Ethnic cleansing, massive discrimination happens because we 
We've made a gap between that people group. We've separated from them. They've separated from us. We start to believe bad things about us, about them, which allows us to do really bad things to them. That's what it was like in medieval Eng England, actually. The Jews were separate, and people started to believe ridiculous lies and propaganda that they you know, drank children's blood and things like that, which allowed the persecution of the Jews in medieval Britain. And, of course, it's that kind of thing which went on in Germany, led to the Holocaust othering, discriminating, separating from... Anyway, you understand it. But we have this principle of discernment, which is in the heart of God. So Jesus doesn't condemn, but he does challenge. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. That is not judgment, but it is mercy. <laughs> I am not going to condemn you, but I am going to point you in the way that God has shown for all of us to walk in. So Jesus comes into the world, not to judge, but to save, to demonstrate mercy, to empathize, to draw near to us. And he calls us to do that too. Now, one of the challenges that faces us as a community, it's not just our internal capacity to judge or not judge one another. But there will be men and women, young people in our city today, who feel if they came into this building, they would be judged and they would not be welcome, and they would not be loved, and they would not be shown mercy to. And that could be for all kinds of reasons. It could be around um, socioeconomic factors. It could be around educational race. It could be around sexuality. It could be range, around, around a whole range of things. That people might think, if I go there, I'm going to be judged. And, um, I, you know, every now and then we encounter people say, oh, I, you know, I'd burn if I went into your church. It must grieve the heart of God, mustn't it? Because he wants us to be uh, the message of mercy to a world that needs mercy so much. And I wonder whether for us there's a real challenge as, a, as people to go to people who we think might feel most unwelcome and most likely to be judged and say, we'd love to welcome you. Uh, we, we'd love to, to get to know you. We'd love to, to learn and, and to, to hold up that bridge of humanity. I love the fact Jesus always did that, how that bridges of humanity to people who expect to be judged. It's like the woman at the well, where she came probably expected to be judged for her lifestyle, by her own village perhaps, and by Jesus as a male Jewish rabbi. And he just reaches out to her, can I have a drink please? A bridge of humanity, a bridge of drawing near that allows a whole lot of other stuff to happen. But that place of discernment, the whole teaching there on um, don't judge finishes, don't throw your pills before swine. There, there, are, <laughs> there are attitudes and, and, and there is a way of walking. But in the economy of God, as I've said really, mercy triumphs over judgment, as James writes his epistle. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's what we're living under today. In a moment or two, we're going to share communion. And that is a picture of us of mercy triumphing over judgment. That we are included amongst all those people who've been rescued, not judged. There's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because in our culture, the sin word is something that we're not really very comfy with. Um, in, in, in Jesus' time, people, I think, were a little bit more comfortable with it, perhaps. I don't know. But... Our value is accepting everyone, 
being tolerant of everything and not discriminating in, in so many areas. Now, there are some universal things we adhere to, but, but the idea that someone is in need of mercy is itself quite a big deal. But the challenge of the economy of the kingdom is this. Unless you recognize you need mercy, you cannot for, receive it. And therefore, we have to acknowledge that we're in need of God's forgiveness and grace before we can receive God's forgiveness and grace. And the reason we challenge at all is because we want the mercy to be received. That's why Jesus challenges those who think they don't need to be challenged. He's, his words of grace to those people who know how needy they are. Like the woman who anoints Jesus' feet at the banquet and cries over his feet and um, wipes his feet with her hair. <laughs> and the religious person, the Pharisee, is so offended by that. And Jesus says, her sins which are many are forgiven and she loves much. She needs mercy. She got mercy and it made her a better person. It enabled her to do beautiful things for Jesus. It enabled her to, to manifest love. The religious person who felt he didn't need Jesus was crabbed and small in his hospitality to Jesus. He didn't wash his hands or his feet. He didn't you know, offer the sort of hospitality level that was appropriate, really. And, uh, and, and Jesus' harshest words are for the Pharisees, not, I believe, to condemn them, but to wake them up to say, you need mercy too. And, and today, we, we have got a good news. But the, the good news starts with recognizing ourselves. When we look at our eyes and see, oh, gosh, there's a big plant there. How much do I need your mercy, God? Show me myself. Show me my need of mercy. And then in receiving that, the joy that comes from being shown mercy. And then giving it away. If we don't feel we need mercy, then we're in that economy of judgment where we judge and will be judged. If we realize that we need mercy, we're in an economy of grace, an economy of the kingdom of God where we receive it freely and we give it freely. So I want to be practical as we come into land and have communion. For us at Woodlands, community is ministry time. When we leave our seats and go and take the bread and the grape juice, we're having an opportunity, first of all, to do business with God ourselves. It's always a time where we can recalibrate our lives, where we can make our confession, where if we've not been following Jesus properly and we've turned away from him, we can come back and receive mercy. So it's great to do that. It's also a place where you've had the, 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 the bread and wine, where... We've got a team of people who love to pray with you. And we, we want to pray for any need that's present in our service today, whether it's a physical healing or need for encouragement or breakthrough or the power of God. But it might be that today that when we come, we may feel that we have been the victim of judgment and we need healing. Or it may be that we're aware that there are judgmental attitudes in our own heart and we need grace. Or it may be that we actually need to deal with something that's a real issue for us, there's some tension around it. But whatever it is, this is an opportunity as we go to communion to be in a place where mercy breaks out. And where mercy is present, I think anything can happen. Um, I, 
I love reading the narratives of Jesus in the Gospels. And it feels like mercy follows Jesus wherever he goes. And in the light of mercy, there's physical healing and spiritual healing and deliverance from evil spirits and the hungry being fed. And, and it's not based on what we deserve, but on the shalom, the bounty, the, the mercy of God. And wouldn't it be wonderful if our reputation as the people of God was, this is where mercy is so rich that you are welcomed and drawn near to and embraced and not held aloof from. The God who draws near to us invites us to draw near to one another and to draw near to those who are still at a distance. The prodigal son on his way home felt he's probably going to get judged but what he encountered was the father who ran to meet him and showed him mercy. And the one who was judgmental was ultimately outside the party. The older son separated himself. That's what we do when we judge. Let's not separate ourselves. Let's draw near. Let's draw near to God. Let's draw near to one another. Let's find the presence and power of God. Amen. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of, that ask God for mercy, a prayer of asking for forgiveness. And then we're going to, Celebrate the breaking of bread, remember what Jesus did. And then you'll be invited to come to one of the stations where we have communion. So at the front and at the sides, there's stations. And here at this, this particular place, we'll offer you the bread and the juice on, on the tray. Uh, I think it's gluten-free bread and it's grape juice. It's accessible to everyone. But um, just a simple phrase, the body of Christ for you, the blood of Jesus shed for you. But then if you would like prayer, particularly at the front here, we'd love to lay hands on you, pray for you and bless you if you feel you need that. Let's put it out there. I'm on domestic duties. Uh, T's recovering a bit from some surgery, and I'm going to be shooting off straight after service to be back to my kind of full nursing care. So I won't be hanging around to shout. Sorry about that. Um, but um, we're going to pray now. Father God, thank you so much that you are so merciful that you sent Jesus. You gave us your only son who laid down his life that our sins could be forgiven. You say to us, though your sins were scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And so today, Lord God, we confess again that we've done things that we shouldn't have done or we've failed to do things we should have done. We've hurt you, we've hurt ourselves, we've hurt other people. Lord, will you forgive us, cleanse us, and fill us again with your Holy Spirit so that we can wear your image into the world where you send us. Amen. Remember, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was whole, was broken so that broken people like us could be made whole. And because Jesus died and is going to come again, and that's the gospel really, we're going to say together the acclamation, we say it together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Good news. Good news. And will you come to the table now in your own time as we go back into worship? And if you are someone here today who's exploring faith and you're not sure that you've really let the mercy of God triumph in your life and, uh, and you need to get right with God, you want to actually give your life to God and make Jesus Lord. Communion is a great place where you can do that. And if that's you today, I'd love to pray with you and take a chance to um, 
to pray God's blessing into your life and help you take steps to following him more closely.